So for this season of Advent this year, uh, we are going to be in the book of Isaiah together. Isaiah was a prophet in the 8th century BC, a long, long time ago. And the book of Isaiah contains um, mostly messages that were attributed to Isaiah, uh, but there's also a few stories in there. And today I want to read you one of these stories. It's a story that has a little bit of a a couple of familiar parts, um, but, but most of it you probably don't know. And so here's what the story is all about. It's about a bully, two smoldering stubs of firewood, a blinking beacon, heartbreaking news, and the question that we all must ask. And that last part is really important. We're going to cover a whole bunch of history today, which I'm excited about. Um, But eventually it comes to a question which every single one of us needs to ask in our lives right now. Okay, so let's jump in. Uh, In the 8th century BC, this young man named Ahaz became king of Judah um, when he was only about 20 years old. And immediately upon becoming king, he was faced with a very precarious situation. Let me put a couple of maps on the screen. Um, On the left, you'll see the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, which is slightly confusing. Uh, They began as one nation, but about 200 years before this, there was a civil war, and the people split into two different kingdoms. Um, Judah in the south, where Jerusalem was still the capital, And then Israel in the north, where the city of Samaria was the capital. Now on the right, you see the bigger picture. Uh, Assyria was dominating the ancient Near East at this time. Assyria was the bully that everybody was afraid of. Its army would move through entire regions and uh, dominate anyone and everyone in their path. So uh, by this time, Assyria had expanded to the north, they had expanded uh, to the south, but there were a few smaller nations left in the Mediterranean region, Aram, Israel, Judah, Edom, and the Philistines. And these smaller nations knew it was only a matter of time before the Assyrians showed up. So two of these nations, Aram and Israel decided to create a defensive alliance. They knew there was strength in numbers when it came to uh, defending themselves against the Assyrian bully. And so they came up with this plan that they would actually march south on Jerusalem. They would lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. They would force Ahaz to surrender the throne of Judah. They would install their own king in his place, a puppet king that they could control. And then with their united forces, with Judah's military and theirs, they could potentially defend themselves against the Assyrians. And this is the story that we find in Isaiah chapter 7. So we'll read some of it today. And I've simplified it a little bit. There's a bunch of different details and names that Isaiah uses, but just because you can't chase down all those things. I simplified it a bit, but here's what it says, starting in chapter 7, verse 1. When Ahaz was king of Judah, the king of Aram and the king of Israel marched up. Um, Up, by the way, even though they're marching south, um, the city of Jerusalem is on a mountain, Mount Zion, so they always talked about marching up to go against Jerusalem. They marched up to fight against Jerusalem. Now Ahaz was told, Aram has allied itself with Israel So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So if we can put the map back up there, um, Israel and Aram are marching from the north against Jerusalem. We also know from other accounts at this time that Edom and the Philistines were attacking Judah from the south. 
and from the West. By the way, these events are described not just in Isaiah, they're described in a couple of other accounts in the Old Testament, as well as other records uh, outside of the Bible. So this is just history uh, that we're talking about. Now, because the people of Judah and Jerusalem are being attacked on all different sides, Isaiah says that, Isaiah, that Ahaz and the people are scared to death. Right? They are, their hearts are shaking like leaves in the wind. Isaiah goes on and he says this, Then Yahweh, Yahweh was the name that the Hebrew people called their God. Then Yahweh said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. So Ahaz is probably out there checking his aqueducts because when your city is about to be sieged, then the first thing that you need to make sure of is that you're going to have plenty of supplies and plenty of water supply. This is really important in a defensive siege. And so he's probably out there checking on all of his defenses. And God says to this prophet Isaiah, I want you to go find Ahaz. And here's what I want you to tell him. Say to Ahaz, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, the kings of Aram and Israel. They have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. So God is saying to Ahaz, I get it. Things do not look too good right now. Right? Aram and Israel are plotting against you. They're trying to remove you from power You've got a serious situation on your hands, not to mention the threats that you're having to deal with on your southern and western border. But God says, don't be afraid. And here's why. He goes on. Yet this is what sovereign Yahweh says. So Isaiah now says, Yahweh is basically, he is sovereign. Don't worry, he is in control. And here's what he says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the capital of Aram is Damascus, and the king of Damascus is a mere man. And within 65 years, Israel will be too shattered to be a people. The capital of Israel is Samaria, and the king of Samaria is a mere man. In other words, don't you get it, Ahaz? These two nations that are coming against you right now, they're really just led by these two men, and these two men are nothing. They're like a dying fire. They're like these two just smoldering stubs of firewood. In fact, let me tell you what's really going to happen, Ahaz. Within a generation or two, Israel itself will be shattered and destroyed into pieces. You won't even be able to call it a nation or a people anymore. See, in this moment, Israel and Aram are not Ahaz's biggest threat. God knows that the biggest threat to Ahaz in this moment is Ahaz himself. And so look at what God says next. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And this is huge. Basically what God is saying to Ahaz is, in this moment, uh, you're going to have to trust me, Ahaz. I know things don't look good. I know they look bad right now. I know from your perspective, it seems like you're losing control of the situation and you're surrounded. But here's what I'm telling you. Everything is going to be okay if you will just trust in me. But if you don't trust in me, 
If you don't believe in me, if you don't stand firm in your faith, and Isaiah uses a really specific Hebrew word here. He uses the Hebrew verb aman. He uses it twice. And aman just means to believe in something or to trust something or to affirm something, to, to stand confidently upon something. It's where we get our English word amen, right? So when you believe in something or when you affirm something or when you agree with something or you have a conviction about something. So basically what God is saying to Ahaz is if you don't amen what I'm telling you, right? If you can't trust me, if you can't believe in me, if you can't stand firm in your faith on what I'm telling you, well, then you yourself will not be amen, Ahaz. You won't be confirmed. You won't be established you won't stand. And this is a huge moment for Ahaz. And we all know what this is like, right? We've never been in a situation exactly like this, but we face those situations in our lives where we don't know what to do. Or we get bad news. Or we have one of those days or one of those weeks, maybe even one of those months or years where things have spun out of control, where nothing is going right. Or it feels like we just keep facing challenge after challenge. And in those moments, we usually do one of two things. We either get overwhelmed by a crushing sense of defeat or despair. Or we decide we have to do something about this. We have to take control back. And for Ahaz, we know from other accounts that this is exactly what he's feeling in this moment. In fact, we know that when he receives word that Israel and Aram are on their way and about to attack, what he really wants to do is write a letter to the king of Assyria. Dear uh, King Tiglath Pleasar III, Israel and Aram would like to form a coalition against you. And they asked me to join their little group, but I told them, no way. I would never do that against you because I am a loyal servant of you, O King Tiglath Pileser III. And in fact, I am going to send you gold and silver and tribute, and we are going to set up idols to your Assyrian gods right within our temple, and we cannot wait to offer prayers to your gods and sacrifices to your gods because we are your loyal Subjects And as your loyal subjects, um, would you consider maybe sending the Assyrian army down to defend me against your enemies, Israel and Aram? That's what Ahaz wants to do. He wants to put his trust in the Assyrians. He, he knows that they can actually help him out in the situation. But God knows that would be the worst thing that Ahaz could do. So God decides to give Ahaz an amazing opportunity. Look at what happens next. Again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz. Ask Yahweh, your God, for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. In other words, Ahaz, I get it. You're struggling right now. You're having a hard time believing that you can trust me when I say everything's going to be okay and that I will take care of you. So here's what I'm going to do, Ahaz. I want to give you a sign. And the word sign means something like a lighthouse in the dark, right? A, a, a blinking beacon that you can't miss that tells you you are not 
alone right now, that, that I am with you and that you can count on me and that I'm sovereign and I'm in control even when you're not and that I will do what I say I will do. So Ahaz, I want to give you a beacon. I want to give you a sign, a signal. And guess what? You can pick it. You name anything you want and I'll do it. If you want lightning bolts, I'll do it. You want pillars of fire. You want an unexpected snowstorm in the morning, right? I can do that. If you want frogs falling from the sky, if you want a locust plague, you just name it and I will do it. You pick the sign Ahaz and I'll do it. Now think about that for just a second. Wouldn't that be the opportunity of a lifetime? If in your moment of doubt, if in that moment where you're not sure if you can actually trust God or believe God. When you're facing something difficult and you have no idea what to do, what if God showed up in your life and said, I know it's hard to believe and trust in me right now, and so I just want to give you a tangible, visible sign so that you can know that I'm for real and you can trust me and you can pick the sign. You just name it and I will do it. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. And look at Ahaz's response. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put Yahweh to the test. Now this is interesting because you might think that Ahaz is being pious or respectful. But we know from other passages that he's not. He's not trying to honor God. He doesn't actually trust in God. He thinks this prophet named Isaiah is really crazy. In fact, Ahaz only trusts in himself in this moment, in his own ability to face and solve the problem. In fact, what we do know is that Ahaz did write to King Tiglath-Pileser III of Assyria. He did send gold and silver and tribute from the Judah temple. He did set up gods to Assyria, and he asked for Assyrian help. We know this because we have the archives in the Assyrian records. That's where Ahaz put his trust. And so Isaiah actually gets really frustrated in this moment. Look at what he says next. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? See, Isaiah is now addressing not just Ahaz specifically, but he addresses the house of David, which is like uh, the lineage of the monarchy, the, the legacy and the future of the nation. It's as if Isaiah is now speaking to all of the people and he's speaking to their future and he's basically saying, don't you get it? God wants you to trust in him. He wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. He wants to be your rock right now. He wants to be your, your blinking beacon in dark times, but you just won't trust him. And, and not only are you trying my patience, because I'm trying to help you trust him, but you are starting to try God's patience as well. And then Isaiah says something. It's a statement. It's going to ring throughout history. It's not just about Ahaz anymore. And it's not just about the nation anymore. It's, it's bigger than that because even though Ahaz didn't want to ask for a sign, God decides he's going to give a sign anyways and it's going to be bigger than anything they could have ever imagined. Isaiah says this, Therefore Yahweh himself will give you a sign. The young woman will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him 
Emmanuel. Now Ahaz is standing there thinking, really? Like that's your sign? <laughs> Isaiah, come on. Like a, a young woman, the, the Hebrew word there just means a, a, probably an unmarried young woman, like a young girl, maybe a teenager. She's going to get pregnant? That's, that's your big sign that I can show like, Couldn't you have come up with something better than that? I mean, so she's going to get pregnant, and in nine months she's going to have a kid. What benefit is that going to be to me? How is that going to help me with the armies that are coming against me now? That's your sign, Isaiah? Isaiah goes on. He tells us more about this sign, this child that will be born. He says this, Before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Yahweh will bring on you and your people a time unlike any since Israel broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. See, God is saying there's going to be this little boy, and he's going to be born, and before he grows very old, the two kings that you are so afraid of right now, they're going to be long gone. And things are actually going to get really bad for you too, Ahaz. And do you know where the source of your pain and your suffering is going to be? It's going to be from the very thing that you're putting your confidence and your trust in now, the king of Assyria. And sure enough, everything that Isaiah said would happen, happened. The Assyrians found out that Israel was forming a coalition, and within a few years, the Assyrian army invaded Israel and totally destroyed it. And then they turned their sights on Judah. But what about this child? Right? Who was this mysterious uh, baby that would be born? Well, Isaiah gives us a clue. Right after this conversation with Ahaz, he says this. Then I made love to my wife, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. A little bit of TMI there, Isaiah. Like, we didn't need to know the... But he's trying to let us know, like, right after this, my wife got pregnant, and we had a son. And as he grew up, as he got older, all the things that Isaiah said would happen actually happened. So maybe Isaiah's son was the sign. But in another message, Isaiah says that this child's going to be a royal child. But Isaiah wasn't from royalty. He would be from the line of David, but Isaiah wasn't from the line of David. This child would rule over a kingdom. The government will be on his shoulders, but Isaiah's son never ruled. There was another child. Uh, Ahaz himself had a son, a royal son, in the line of David, who became the next king, and his name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah, we're told, trusted in God. Where Ahaz failed, where Ahaz put his faith in, in foreign gods and, and foreign alliances, Hezekiah turned the people and brought the people back to putting their trust in God. So maybe Hezekiah is the fulfillment of this sign. But Isaiah also said that the government that this son, this king, would establish would bring justice and righteousness and peace that would have no end that this child's kingdom would last forever. And for all the good that Hezekiah did, he eventually died. And after that, things went downhill in Judah. 
The Babylonians took over the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians swept in. They laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. Their armies broke through the walls, and they utterly destroyed it, leaving it in ruins. And there was no peace, no righteousness, no justice, certainly no kingdom. And decades passed. And then centuries passed. And the Hebrew people wondered, has God abandoned us? Has he forgotten about us? Well, what about all those promises that were made? What, what about that sign that Isaiah talked about? Was Isaiah wrong? Was it all a false hope? And then late one night, hundreds of years later, an angel appears to this young peasant girl and says this, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That's huge. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the Hebrew people have wondered, is God with us? And now an angel appears to this young girl who's about to go through some pretty difficult circumstances and says, the Lord is with you? The story continues. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Same thing that was said to Ahaz. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In other words, this is it, Mary. This is the one God has not forgotten. He is faithful, and he is keeping his promise. And there's her fiancé, Joseph. And he gets what can only be the most heartbreaking news that any fiancé would ever receive. His soon-to-be wife is pregnant. And she can't really explain it, but he knows there's pretty much only one explanation. Right? So there's only one thing he can do. And publicly, he cannot accept this. But an angel appears to Joseph and says this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, I know this is hard to believe, Joseph. I know it doesn't make sense right now. I know that you're just going to have to trust that this is somehow all a part of, of God's plan right now. And then Matthew is writing down this story many years later. And as he's writing down the story, it strikes Matthew that this is actually part of something so much bigger that had been happening. And so Matthew says this, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Which means in Hebrew, God with us. 
Do you see how significant this is? That, that hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, when Israel and Judah had completely turned their back on God, right? they didn't believe in him, they didn't trust him, they didn't put their confidence in him. When the king of Judah was asked to, to give a sign, you can pick it, God's willing to do it, he wouldn't even ask for a sign. It was in those circumstances that God decided, I'm going to give a sign anyways. And it's not going to be a sign just for you, Ahaz, because you're going to be long gone. It's not going to be a sign just for this generation because they'll be long gone. It's not even going to be a sign just for this nation. It's going to be bigger than that. It's going to be a sign for all people in all generations that I can be trusted, that I can be faithful, that I will chase after you and pursue you even when you've turned your back on me, that I will be with you even in the midst of the darkness, even when things are hard, even when you are doubting me. And the sign is me. I am the sign, right? I am going to come as a child, come to be with you as a human and come to actually give my life for you. I am coming to show you the way and the truth and the life. I am coming to be Emmanuel, God with all of us. And so here's the question that all of this drives at for every single one of us in all of our lives. And it's this. How do you respond in life when or if you believe that God is with you? Because we're all like Ahaz, right? We all face difficult and tough circumstances. So how does someone respond who just got laid off if they believe deep in their hearts that God is with them? How does the couple that's going through a difficult marriage or maybe difficult circumstances together, how do they respond if they know and believe deep in their hearts, even though things are dark, even though that's hard, even though there's no easy answers, but God is still with us? How does the 20-something or the 30-something who's not where they thought they would be in life right now, maybe financially, maybe relationally, maybe in their job, maybe in their career, how do they respond if they can come to the conclusion that God is still with them? How does somebody who's facing health issues or a health crisis or, or just a, a difficult season in their life, how do they respond if they believe God is with them? Let me just ask you, think about your own life right now. How do you, in your life, with whatever challenge you're facing, with whatever disappointment you're carrying, and a lot of us are carrying disappointment that nobody else knows about. With whatever fear that you're facing, how would you respond if you knew and believed that God was with you in the midst of all of it? We know how Ahaz responded. And we see how Mary and Joseph responded. They trusted in God. And it wasn't easy. They didn't get all the answers right away. But they knew and believed that God was with them. Let me pray for us this morning. <clears throat> Lord, I pray for every single person <clears throat> who's listening and whatever it is that we're facing. We are all in different circumstances and we are all at different places on our journey of faith. And I think deep down we want to trust you. 
Sometimes we don't know how. Sometimes it's just so hard. Sometimes the doubt seems so big or the despair seems so overwhelming. Sometimes it's just hard letting go. Not knowing what to do when we're not in control. And so with whatever it is that we are carrying or holding on to, God, I pray that you would give us whatever we need today to believe and know that no matter what, you are with us in the midst of everything. We pray this in your name. Amen.